Hi, this is Michael Shapiro, and this is the Delacorte Review Podcast, where we talk about real true stories and how they happen. First, a joke about editors. A writer is lost in the desert when off in the distance he sees an oasis. He crawls his way there, drops his face into the pond in the center of the oasis, and begins to drink. Then he hears off to the side a tinkling sound. He looks up and sees a man peeing into the pond. Who are you? asks the writer. I'm an editor, says the man. What are you doing? asks the writer. I'm making it better, replies the editor. Now, writers are forever fetching and whining about editors because what they want, trust me, I've been there, is to be loved or to have their work loved by that editor. Editors can be hard to please or too easy to please, but is that rare editor with whom a writer can have a real partnership. And when that happens, it is a bond like no other, a collaboration, a team. That's how our editor, Mike Hoyt, sees it. So why do writers give editors, well, a hard time? Um, I've found through the years that good writers don't, actually. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, good writers appreciate um, good editing. Um, there are bad editors and overbearing editors and editors who try to substitute their voice for the writer's voice, but I am not among them. And, uh, you know, I, I think good writers love good editing. You didn't start out as an editor. No, I was a reporter for many years and a writer, <clears throat> magazine writer. I worked uh, for two newspapers and I, I freelanced for a while for all kinds of places. And I became a junior editor at Columbia Journalism Review and then rose, became a senior editor, the senior editor, and then the top editor for a long time. And um, gradually edited more and wrote less. What did you discover the more you edited that you liked about it? It's, at its best, it's co-creation. It's like, you know, uh, there's a, I mean, there's a joy in creating. There's, a, you know, we all know it's hard. Um, we all know it's challenging. But um, in writing, there's, a, you know, everybody says they like to have written. But the, actually, the, the act itself is, is uh, it's a good exertion. It's great. And, um, and when you edit, well, it's kind of a co-creation. You know, it's uh, you're you're making something good. So, in this first issue, you edited three of the five stories. I want to talk a little bit about Emily's story because that was a particularly complicated one in the sense of, well, tell us what was complicated about it, and just by way of background, what is the story about? It's about her. Um, I guess if there's, I was trying to think what's sort of the question at the heart of it, and I guess it's um, why, I don't know if it's why she loves the town she can't wait to leave or why she can't wait to leave the town she deeply loves in some way. It's a, it's a, it's a working class uh, English town almost up to Scotland. It's way up north. It it's, was built, it was, its economy was shipbuilding and coal. And those things got crushed under Thatcher and under a global globalizing economy and so forth. It's an interesting part of the piece where she talks. There's a Facebook site uh, that is about uh, the town back in the day, and um, and everybody's on it all the time. There's just there's, there's, there's this nostalgia all the time. The town's called Shields, and um, <clears throat> they, they, everybody's talking about the good old days. But there's a political 
part of this. this that that uh, nostalgia can be can curdle and get toxic. So when you have a really big but amorphous and kind of vague story, this place in which the writer Emily Dixon has a a, a love hate relationship. How do you even begin guiding her? And how actually, how did you begin guiding her in bringing the story to life? Well, we talked a lot um, about, you know, what, what she, about her town. Um, I mean, she wanted to write about Shields. That was clear. And it was clear she had uh, a kind of love-hate thing with it, which, I mean, she, not, not hate, but she, she wanted to escape it, um, which kind of resonated with me because I feel the same way about Kansas City where I grew up. I, you know, she wanted a bigger canvas. She wanted to explore the world and get out. But it was on top of that was the, 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 the Brexit vote. And Shields, to her utter astonishment, voted uh, to leave. We just started talking, and then we started exchanging memos. And, um, you know, I did, early on I said, you know, said the strength of peace is how it combines the personal with the political, <clears throat> the smaller picture with the big one. Well, you said something initially, but I, I think that is a point that a lot of writers sort of don't understand the value, the, more than the value of, which is the question. You said, what was the question that was going to animate this whole story? And that doesn't come, it's seemingly simple, but it doesn't come easily, does it? Uh, no. I mean, that's sort of a, a lot of the work uh, between editor and writer is trying to, uh, often, is, is trying to hone that question, you know, exactly what are we writing about here? And um, I think that was kind of it in her case. A lot of times writers will say, and heaven knows Emily is not the only writer who feels this way, like nobody's really going to care about what I want to write about. Yeah, Nobody I, cares I, about my yeah. place. Nobody cares about Niall. And yet what happens is that it's clear that for Emily there was really something to work through here about this place and this town. Yeah. And you mentioned that she went back and started doing all this reporting. And it wasn't just, I gather, it wasn't just reporting for the sake of finding out facts. Was it very much a case where she just needed to know everything? Yeah. And and she needed to be told that we wanted to hear everything. And um, and the reason it was interesting, I think, there's a, I mean, I think the heart of a lot of good writing is that there's a tension. It was a, it was a tension. She loved this place and she didn't love it. And she wanted, couldn't wait to get out. And you know as an editor, having done this for a long time, it doesn't take that long to figure out this is great, right? You could see it. How did you know? I mean, it's, I think all writers want to know that. I mean, how did how did you know immediately that there was something going on here? I don't know. I mean, she's she's such a good writer for one thing. I mean, um, she the, the 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 things she would send me were not connected or or didn't have a quite yet have a spine and so forth. But um, they were just good and fascinating. And I guess I guess it's a matter of. You know, recognizing the uh, there's a sort of a universal thing here: people wanting to leave, loving their, where they live, and yet wanting to leave it. And that's that's a that's a profound thing that you know lots of us experience. And um, it just seemed like a great subject. Plus, it was timely. It was Brexit, and it related to Trump. For you know, I, I, without saying so, um, it 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 had to do with class. It had to do with. Uh, um, with family, uh, it just it just had so many layers. I know there's an expression um, 
classic sort of trite expression, takeoff and landing editing. The takeoff being, you know, the, the process of thinking out a story with a writer, and the landing, which is, okay, let me just see what you have, and let me get out a pencil, or go to the keyboard and fix this prose view. How important is the takeoff in relation to the landing? Well, the take the takeoff is huge because it's gonna, you know, it's where you, to continue the metaphor, it's where you set your flight map, and where's the story going? What's it about? And what what's the question at the heart of it? And you know what's driving it? I mean, it's huge. I I, ad, I admit I like I like both. I mean, I like landing. I like, <clears throat> you know, sort of working with what's in the kitchen. You know, here's what you got, and you got, you know, two hours to fix it, and and you make it. You you take it from level here to level higher, you know, and 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 that's a craftsmanlike pleasure I, that I get from that. It's 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 great. What's the experience like from an editor's point of view, with a writer who just won't take editing? You know, I've 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 to my surprise found early on that um, the. Good writers aren't like that. Good writers tend to be um, glad to hear things uh, that'll make it better. They just want it to be better. And I, I actually do think there are pieces that you should pretty much leave alone. I mean, that that they're they're just people that you know you just fix up some grammar and a couple of trims and you're done. I mean, uh, <clears throat> um, what about the other ninety nine percent? But, of but us? there are writers who are not, you know, not as good as they think they are, and and um, and, and disdain the editing process, and I, I don't like working with them. Um, you just sort of ins- insist, but that's usually pretty rare, because <clears throat> usually, I mean, I usually am in on the, c- the creation, or, or somebody I respect is in on the creation of the takeoff part of it, and uh, and and we, sh- and the writer and I are sharing, a, you know, in- an interest, a curiosity. We really. This is fascinating. Let's make it great. You know, it's interesting. I I can't remember talking to an editor before who so clearly articulated the thrill of the creative part of this. And I think that it does it. I'm so glad you're saying it because I think it does a disservice to so many editors who are seen by writers as, you know, Jack London and William Faulkner notwithstanding, who do not see the work of editing as a creative act. And in fact, what you're saying is that working in partnership actually can is exciting and in fact the editor can make you better the editor can release the energy i mean it's 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 your story it's it's your writer's story but the editor can help you release the energy how can how do you what do you mean by release the energy by by asking questions by 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 drawing you out by giving uh helping you gain confidence that this part of the thing is interesting that that this question that you've left inadequately answered should be fully answered um, that the details are interesting that uh, um, that this part is not that interesting so we need to cut it uh, um, I don't know it's just a it, it, it's a shared interest in, in making something as good as you can make it and, and and talk to people about it let's talk about framing because that is something that I think a lot of writers and I can I think it's fair to say a lot of editors don't get that the, at, the, at the heart of the story, there's got to be a framing question that is propelling you forward. And that is seemingly simple, but really hard to distill. In the case of Emily's story, 
you were saying that, it was pretty clear where, where the story was going. But how hard was it to get to, or was it hard, rather, to get to the framing question at the heart of the story? I, I don't know if it was that hard in Emily's case. Um, I mean, it was, you know, she wanted to write about her hometown, and, and, and it was clear that it was a town that she deeply loved and yet um, was frustrated by and wanted to get away from. Um, and that's interesting. Um, that's the frame, really. I mean, that's what the story's about. Um, with this all this overlay of class politics and, and family and everything else. Do you think that in the case of Emily's story, the framing question could almost be beginning as the story does with Brexit and her reaction to it? Almost something like, how could you? That, you know, or how could you slash we? That in many ways, I mean, I've struggled with this as a writer, that a framing question has got to be, I have this thing in my head, no more than four or five words. And it's got to be something that's seemingly obvious but really complicated. Um, I, I don't know about the four or five words. We've talked about this in the past. Yeah. I, 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 I think I I'm just harder on myself <laughs> about that. Than I, I, I think if, if you can get it to four or five words, that's great because it's real simple. And I do think that simplicity, a, the more you can understand a story as a simple question or a, maybe a simple argument, um, the better. Um, I mean, you can go out and interview... 40 people on a subject, but you've got to come back with some kind of idea about it. I'm really struck by how much we come back again and again to your point about keep it simple, but not simplistic, that there's a difference. And I think a lot of writers are afraid that if they're simple, no one will pay attention because they're, they're, whatever they have to say will not be appreciated. Simple question, I mean, can have complex answers. I mean, Emily's wrestling with, you know, why she wants to escape her, the town she loves, uh, some version of that question. And that's really complicated. Um, and she, you know, she did escape and went to Oxford, but she didn't like that. They made fun of her. They, uh, they made fun of her accent. Uh, they, she just didn't feel like she fit. There were very few people from the north there. It was a class difference, huge, giant, gaping class difference. And, um, uh, you know, that's not simple at all. That's, that's complicated. Um, and then there was the, the, the you know, the politics and, and um, her love of her family and all that stuff. It's all complicated. But, but I think that's really... But it's a simple question. Right. Simple question. And you're saying if you keep the writing simple, which is to say whatever, it's not simple sentences without a comma. We're not talking about Raymond Carver or Hemingway-like prose here. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to force yourself to write in a voice other than your own voice. But You don't have to dazzle. Yeah. I mean, is that something that you've noticed over the years? And a lot of times you'll have a writer who will try, is trying way too hard to, as they say, write for lines, to dazzle. And you'll have to pare it back. I mean, yeah, you do. You see that, and they don't like that, do they? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, the good ones do. Uh, I mean, you know, you, 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 it's part of it is convincing them that w what they're wrestling with is. I'm interested. You don't have to shake a bunch of confetti at me or you know neon lights. Uh, just, just give me the straight two dollar words. And yet, what what's interesting is that. I know I'm keep on coming back to this. What's interesting is it doesn't mean that you have to write 
dull prose. It doesn't mean it, what you're saying is that what the interesting, complicated thing is not, should not be the prose. The interesting, complicated thing is what you're trying to say. Exactly. Or the, the, the story you're trying to weave. There's a lot of very successful writers, especially writers of fiction, who nobody would you know, confuse with Hemingway or Fitzgerald or Wolfe. Not great prose stylists. And yet, you can't put the book down. Right. What happened next? Stay with that for a second. What happened next? Is it that simple? I mean, they're all different. Um, but, yeah, you want, the, you want the reader to... I mean, if it's an interesting question that they're wrestling with, what's the next layer of it? What's the next level of attack on it? Um, what about the pushback? You know, uh, um, you know, give me more detail about it. I mean, it's just, it's it's. It, I, I think it's the question that's driving the damn thing. Let me ask the one one final question, which is the one that writers hate to have asked, but I have to ask you as a wonderful editor. If the reader stops reading, whose fault is that? <laughs> uh, you know. Um, oh, you can Life say. happens. You know, <laughs> you can't blame a reader for, uh, uh, you know, the, the baby woke up. You don't want to say it was the writer's fault, do you? Um, it's some, it, it, no, I don't, because it's not always. Uh, but um, If it, the baby is sleeping <laughs> in a soundproof room and there are no distractions, you're in the quiet car of life. Okay. So then, um, yeah, maybe you could have made that transition, set up that transition a little better to keep them going another five minutes, you know. Uh, and that's why you are the nicest, best editor in the world, because you won't say, it's your fault, kid. Stop <laughs> reading. Give me something else. You know, uh, writers are up against, a, uh, you know, look at this world. Everybody's checking their phone every 20 seconds. You know, everybody's in need of distraction. Everybody's uh, uh, ridiculously busy. Um, in, in a way that I think is not healthy. Um, to try to get them to stop and read about some town in the north of England or some surfer in London or, or a, a girl who died on a skate uh, on a longboard quite a while ago, several months ago. Several uh, years you, ago. You, 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 that's, that's, that is asking quite a lot of a reader. So um, I can't blame the reader, but boy, you gotta work, you got to work and... and, um, and uh, I'm happy to say I think these people, I hope these people succeeded. That was great. And um, I'll find my story as quickly as I can. And so, But be gentle with it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Okay. This has been the Delacorte Review Podcast. Our producer is Katie Ferguson, and the theme music that you've been hearing is by Jim Okar. The Delacorte Review appears three times a year, winter, spring, and fall. Issue number one, Five Very Different Stories on the Theme of Home, is now available online at www.delacortereview. That's one word, and Delacorte is spelled D-E-L-A-C-O-R-T-E, review.org, where we publish a new story every week. Or if you want to read all the stories at once, it's also available as an ebook. The Review's editor is Mike Hoyt. Senior editor is Sissy Falicant. Associate editors are Abigail Covington and Natasha Rodriguez. Our illustrations are by the wonderful Eleanor Hamelin. We'll see you next week. <laughs>